When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, sun just came out. It's a beautiful morning out here in Chambers Bay on the Puget Sound. You know, wrapping up uh, part four uh, of our little home and home series. (laughs) EJ came down to L.A. for the first three parts. I'm coming up to uh, the Seattle area for the last two parts. And we're talking Eagles today. Couldn't imagine a more uh, idyllic location talk about one of the best teams in the NFL. Consider us Kelly Green Rays of Sunshine today when talking about the NFC East champs, the, you know, conference representative in terms of the Super Bowl and a team that, you know, we'll talk a lot about Howie Roseman is the GM today has been built at every level using every mechanism, the draft, free agency trades, and they've got a roster that is very, very impressive. Uh, speaking of Kelly Green by the way, Unfortunately, we're recording this three days before they reveal the Kelly Green throwbacks. I can only imagine, based on all the other throwbacks we've seen so far around the NFL, Kelly Green's going to be insane. Like, I'm I'm probably going to get a Hurts jersey in Kelly Green, like, the second they show it, because it's iconic, and if it's even, like, 80% as good as the Oilers throwback unis, as much as that pisses me off that Tennessee's wearing them against Houston... <laughs> If it's even like 80% as good as that, oh my God, it's going to be incredible. They teased it, and it is going to have the eagle on the shoulder, which is this design. Um, Shout out to our clothing partner, Homage, for hooking us up with uh, Eagles gear before because we knew that they were going to be bringing back the Kelly Green throwbacks. And there are so many classic Eagles players that have, you know, created amazing highlights in that jersey. I'm sure the current crop is excited to get their hands on them. Well, we have a lot to go over today, so we're not going to extend this intro any longer than we need to. We're talking schemes, we're talking personnel changes, we're talking everything that you need to know about the 2023 Eagles, as well as, uh, you know, what went right with the 2022 Eagles that they're going to try to keep going this year. Uh, It's a long one, so strap in, Jay, Autumn, Anthony, roll the intro. Welcome to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brooke Holman, here with my little co-host, EJ Snyder. As we said, it's Eagles Day today. Uh, so much to go over. Uh, and, and we will be getting uh, into all of the changes that you could probably expect from a personnel and schematic perspective throughout this show. Um, you know, we're going to be hitting on the draft. We're going to be hitting on free agency. We're going to be hitting on, you know, what the departure of not one but two coordinators means for this team schematically. Um, it's a lot, but before we do all that, we got to talk about 2022 and everything that did go right for a team that going into last year, we had high expectations for that even, you know, even us (laughs) as high as we were on this roster still probably had our expectations exceeded. 
Eagles fan base, unlike a lot of fan bases in this series, are actually happy with this segment. <laughs> They'd prefer <laughs> if we made this a little bit longer. 2022 was a very good year. Overall record of 14 and three. Can't do much better than that in the modern NFL. Ranking the division first, obviously home record seven and two, road record very similar, seven and one. Last five games, three and two. They dropped two of their three games in those last five. A little bit uncharacteristic for this team, but didn't matter. Rolled yeah. into the playoffs pretty strong. Jalen being banged up probably played a little little role in that. A wee bit, but it didn't didn't phase them. Didn't slow them down. They end up going all the way to the Super Bowl. 2022. Very, very good. And the numbers reflect that, too. We're doing effectiveness summary this year. For those of you that are new to the series, we're talking about rushing offense and passing offense based on EPA per play, rush defense and pass defense, points scored and points allowed, using their league rank, comparing them to their peers. And as you'd expect for this team, and based on those results, very good result overall. Rushing offense, first in the league. Not surprising. The... Offensive line under Jeff Stoutland and the rushing attack in general is one of the most varied and effective in the NFL and was the most efficient based on EPA per play. Passing offense came up to seventh. This is probably the one that surprises us a little bit. If you told us, oh, they'd be tickling top 10, they'll be 12th, we still thought that they could have gone a long ways. Seventh was a major jump for Jalen Hurts in this passing offense. Rush defense, if there was one down segment of this team, it was this. They were 25th in the league in rush defense. Still went to the Super Bowl. Shows you that you don't have to be a great rush defense. Do they want to be better? Yeah, we'll see that reflected in their draft strategy and some of their free agency additions. Pass defense, number one. This is how you win. <laughs> you are good throwing the ball, and you are good keeping people from throwing the ball. And the Eagles were both points scored as a result. Not surprisingly, 477 points, good for second overall in the league, and points allowed 344, good for eighth overall. So they were not only a great scoring team, but a great scoring defense. Really the only blemish on the entire report card here, if you want to call it that, is the rush defense at 25th. And not surprisingly, when you take those six numbers, divide by six to get our bootleg power score, their bootleg power score is seven. That's third overall in the league. That's the second best one we've revealed so far. Number three overall in the NFL. That, again, another win for power score is reflective of how good this Eagles team was. I mean, they were the perfect confluence of talent meets great coaching, right? You know, it's it's good football players making coaches better, and it's good coaches making football players better at the same time. That's how you win Super Bowls, right, is, or at least compete for Super Bowls is you have a complete roster and a coaching staff that knows what to do with them. And from top down, you know, looking at, at head coach under Sirianni, you know, Howie, how he built the roster, the coordinators they had, they, they really did a good job of adjusting their schemes to what they had. You know, it's, hey, we got a quarterback who's really good at throwing go balls down the boundary and a receiver that's really good at catching them down the boundary. Let's just call that a lot. Hence, A.J. Brown getting a ridiculous amount of yards just on go balls. You know, Devontae Smith working those deep crosses, everything like that. They were absolutely absurd as a deep ball passing team this year because their coaches recognized they had the talent to do it. So they leaned into it as much as humanly possible. Um, on defense, you know, kind of getting into our, our scheme stats here that we, that we always pull for every single team, you could see that Gannon... Uh, who was working closely with Vic Fangio on this staff last year. Um, you know, Vic, Vic, I don't know if he was like officially part of the staff. I remember they announced in August that he was 
consulting or whatever, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Right. But I know that Vic was involved there. Um, and, you know, Gannon, Gannon was working with him in whatever role you want to label that as. But uh, schematically, you could see that they were tailoring Fangio-ish type concepts to the talent that they had. They were not running, and this is kind of a mistake that, that I think I made um, leading up to the Super Bowl. We're like, oh my God, everything they're running is Fangio stuff. True. Ish. Ish. But how they were deploying the Fangio stuff was different than how Vic does it and how other Vic disciples do it, right? And it wasn't until I had a, a conversation recently with Coach Fast that I kind of realized that of like, wait a minute, this team uses straight up quarters or Vic guys call it quads. They use that a lot more than all the other Fangio guys, you know, Giro Overo in Denver, um, you know, Minnesota was running a, a Fangio-style defense, uh, Staley with the Chargers. Like, they, you know, that side kind of leans a lot more heavily into quarter-quarter half, uh, whereas the Eagles with Gannon and working directly with Vic were leaning more into straight-up quarters. And so looking at the percentages here, they were third in total percentage of their calls being quarters. They were 17th in quarter-quarter half, which is unusual for a Fangio style defense and so I was kind of doing some research on that after I had the the conversation with Vass and there, there's going to be a video on the film room channel coming out it's going to be a very long one kind of explaining all this but <laughs> I'm shocked it's 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 it, we recorded for like almost four hours it was insane but it really gave me a great understanding of of how Vic does it right um, and so I was able to use that knowledge to then kind of reverse engineer what Gannon was doing and I was like okay it's similar but but also not and so what the Eagles were doing uh, was they faced the third most uh, number of snaps last year on defense against a three by one formation meaning three receiving threats to one side one to the other side running back in the backfield um, they were fourth in the entire NFL in facing that it was like over 500 snaps However, if you look at all the other Fangio-type defenses, you know, the Vikings called quarter-quarter-half into that 29% of the time. That was first by far. Avero with the Broncos called it 20% of the time. That was fourth. Staley with the Chargers was sixth at 13.2%. In terms of calling quarter-quarter-half into 3 by one the Eagles were all the way down at 23rd in the NFL. They were at 6.4%. So they were not handling, you know, a you know, what you call a weighted formation. They were not handling it the same way that the other Fangio guys do. And they handled it with quarters at the second highest rate, only behind Washington, who we talked about earlier this week as being a very quarters heavy defense. And so I was trying to understand, okay, why did they do that? Because a lot of other Fangio type uh, systems, they'll play quarter, quarter, half into a three by one look either with the half-field safety being over the top of the passing strength or the quarters side being over the top of the passing strength, whichever, whichever way you want to do it, they'll kind of uh, choose which way they're going based on where you know the, the biggest threat their game planning is against, right? That's how a lot of Fangio-type defenses do it is we're playing quarters to one side, we're playing cover two to the other side. Eagles were just straight up quarters. And... I would argue the reason they did that 
is entirely because they had faith in their outside corners not getting beat deep. The only reason you do that is because you don't think you need a half-field safety anywhere. You know, they didn't call cover two a lot. Again, they didn't call quarter-quarter half a lot. So they were not really protecting their corners deep at all. And I think that that is kind of the key difference between what the Eagles were doing with Gannon versus what all the other Fangio-type defenses were doing, which was they felt they had the dudes to hold up essentially on islands, and they put them to the test every single week. And for the most part, they passed those tests every single week. What does that mean for this year? I'll be honest, I'm not sure because Gannon's gone. The corners are another year older. We'll see. They might have to make some adjustments in the middle of the season. But last year, I would say, even though they were such a zone-heavy team, last year was a very risky defense because it put so much faith in your guys to win. And not a lot of other coaching staffs, I think, would have had the balls to do that. There are very few other teams that have the guys to do that. We talk a lot about this style of defense and what it takes to run them. And we say you need one corner that can shut somebody down. It's really rare that a team has two like Slay and Bradbury, who are both playing really very good football and they felt equally confident about. There's there's very few teams that have one of those guys. They had two. Mm-hmm. So that allowed them to play into that style and not have to wait one side of that defense and play it what I'll call equally um, or interchangeably and say either one of our guys can hold up wherever you want to take them, go for it. So risky for most teams, a little less risky for the Eagles. Looking at their blitz percentage, uh, this was kind of more in line with you know, what, what Vic does or rather what Vic doesn't do. Um, and again, we know that Gannon had a, a – or we know that Vic had a pretty heavy – influence on what Gannon was doing here. Uh, they were 15th in terms of blitzing on third and short. They were 23rd in blitz rate on third and medium. They were 31st in blitz rate on third and long. They just didn't blitz on third and long. They trusted their guys to get home. They said, we're going to play solid coverage. Go ahead, try to get open in less than two and a half seconds. Because if you don't, we're probably going to eat you alive. And for the most part, uh, they did. They had, God, how many guys got double-digit sacks this year for them? Four? Four. I mean... If you have that many good pass rushers, you kind of don't have to blitz, right? Again, when you've assembled a roster of guys that we cited a couple of times last year, Philadelphia's second-string defensive line could probably start for several NFL teams. And, you know, you've got the killers above that. You are going to get home. You don't need to add pressure very often because those guys, one of those guys, one of the four is going to win one-on-one before those corners break down. So... This is complimentary football, but it's complimentary to the roster and the roster building job that we referenced at the top that Howie Roseman's done. He just continues to stack guys. He never sits on his hands. It's never enough. Oh, I got one. Let's get two. Oh, I've got two. Let's get three. You know, oh, I got a guy. There's somebody out there in trade that I can snag. Sure. I think it's a value. Let's do it. Well, the room's already loaded, Howie. Doesn't matter. And that sort of foot-to-the-floor roster building is what's going to have him in conversation pretty much every year for GM of the year. Flipping over to the offensive side of the ball, uh, you know, the run concept frequency numbers should not be a surprise to anybody. They were first in the NFL in terms of calling inside zone, which 
if you watch any Eagles game at all last year, you saw them just run inside zone over and over and over again, you know, calling zone reads off of it. You know, anytime they were in no huddle, that was their bread and butter. It's like, hey, it's third and three. We're a little bit outside sneak range, but we still think our big guys can run you over. We're calling inside zone. 39% of all of their runs were just inside zone. That's that's outrageous, but it's, it worked. I feel like we need the Austin Powers movie clip. <laughs> it's my bag, baby. <laughs> it is, man. It is their bag. Uh, outside zone, conversely, didn't call it a lot at all. They were 29th uh, in the NFL in terms of outside zone. They were 30th in duo, which is interesting because inside zone and duo are like not even cousins. They're... <laughs> like almost twins yeah. it's just slight little differences um they were 25th in power they were fourth in counter uh a lot of those counter calls by the way were with Jalen carrying the ball himself um you know the fact that you have a quarterback that squats like five or six hundred pounds and you have a whole bunch of guards that are 320 plus uh, and you can pull him in space and have your freakishly athletic quarterback run counter behind it and, oh, by the way, have a running back lead blocking for him. Yeah, pretty hard to stop. So they, they leaned into that quite a bit. Uh, they were sixth in draw, again, because they have Jalen. And they were 13th in pin and pull, uh, which is a variety of, like there's a bunch of different run concepts that kind of fall under the pin and pull umbrella. But uh, So, again, a little a little bit of variety there in terms of their non inside zone stuff but when they really needed four yards iz is what they called you got kelsey as your center and the rest of that line talent all under jeff stoutland who is one of the best offensive line developers in the nfl it is very difficult you assemble the athletes you coach them up um you you specialize i would say more than most teams this term this split between inside zone and outside zone first and 29th that's a disparity we don't see for most teams. They they dip into both pools a little bit, even if they specialize in one. This is hardcore. This is what we're going to do. We're going to drill this really to the letter. We've got the guys that can do it, and they won on it much more often than they didn't. Looking at their passing offense overview, um, you know, I'm really curious to see if anything changes after Steichen's departure because Steichen is a big believer in being aggressive down the field, you know, taking your shots, not necessarily holding onto the ball forever while taking those shots, because, again, a go ball down the boundary is actually a pretty quick throw, mechanically speaking. Um, so I'm curious to see if they if they still do that this year. I would advise that they do because they're very <laughs> good at it. But last year, looking at their numbers, they were seventh in play action percentage. Um, I have to imagine RPOs that got charted as play action factor into that a little bit. Average time to throw was quote unquote 10th slowest, but when it's Jalen running around, it's, it's again, it's not slow. It just means that he's mobile. 2.9 seconds, perfectly fine. Air yards percentage, 53.1%. That is 15th. Uh, A dot was 9th at 9.5. So again, they threw deep quite frequently. Big time throw percentage. This is, you know, the, the huge indicator of how effective they were on those deep balls. 4.3%. Seventh in the NFL, tied for seventh, I should say. That was over three times, I think, what the Giants' number was. They were like, what, 1.2, something like that? So, you know, again, uh, 
the, the difference in offensive personnel <laughs> in terms of getting explosive plays through the air is notable. Uh, and then total yards per attempt, 8.4, tied for second in the NFL, uh, only behind the uh, no, only behind the Chiefs, I think, were first at like 8.7 or something like that. So, um, again, highly efficient, but also extremely explosive passing game. Honestly, if they just copy and pasted the playbook from last year and leaned into the fact that they're just better than everybody and they have more talent than everybody, like they don't have to do anything fancy. Just line up and go play because, quite frankly, they are more talented than all but probably like three defenses they're going to face in the NFL. I think this is a really representative picture of what we saw from the Eagles on the field when you watched them play. It was sort of a tale of two cities to the Giants offense. They were going to go deep. Once they figured out about six or seven weeks into the season that A.J. was going to win all those balls down the field and that was his best life, they leaned into it. Jalen Hurts has thrown that ball very well, but in terms of receivers, he's had to go get it. He hasn't had anybody like A.J. Brown. He was literally catching those at an 80% clip. And I know everybody always jokes like, oh. It's he, not 50-50, it's 80-20. Yeah, yes, no, it he, is. He literally <laughs> was 80-20. He was the only receiver in the NFL that was even like above 70, right? Everybody else, like a good contested catch rate on those is like 55%. That's like, you know, Mike Williams, like one of the best contested catchers in the NFL, like, you know, 55, 60%. That's what we're hoping for here. He was 80. Like, do people understand how ridiculous that is? Like, Well, it is the reason that they leaned into it is because they were like, look, we've got a superpower that we've unlocked. We're just going to keep pushing this button and see if anybody can stop it. And the bottom line was most people couldn't stop it. I felt so bad for the Titans <laughs> like in that game where AJ, you know, let them know like, hey, should have paid me what I wanted. And it was just it was bombs away. I think that was honestly the game where they learned like, oh, we can just do this whenever we want. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody can stop it. Yeah. There isn't an antidote to this. So why aren't we doing it more? Because it's more efficient. We get chunk plays out of it. And in terms of percentages, it's really efficient. Like, this is not a 50-50 proposition or even a 60-40 proposition. It's an 80-20 proposition. We should be moving our offense this way. Yeah, it's just a fun team to watch, man. They just don't give a shit. That's what I love about them. They just they don't care. They know they're better than you. <laughs> um, all right, let's get to the power structure here because we've, we've heaped praise on all of them individually. But... I think kind of going through the front office and the coaching staff as a whole, it helps to really uh, solidify the fact that this is a special, special group. Like even after the departure of of Steichen uh, and Gannon, like this is still a pretty ridiculously talented coaching staff. Yeah, right at the top starts with the executive vice president, GM, who we've talked about a lot, Howie Roseman. He deserves it. Every bit of praise we've heaped on him. He's earned it. Head coach Nick Sirianni, who assembled a staff that we weren't sure about. We felt they were, pardon the pun, green uh, a couple of years ago. We didn't know how quickly they would come together and and learn. Uh, they came together extremely quickly, learned very well, and as good staffs do in the NFL, got poached. Um, both the offensive and defensive coordinator. Now, normally that would be seismic for an organization. That would be losses. I, I feel like it would be very difficult to overcome. In terms of the Eagles, their passing game coordinator and associate head coach is Kevin Petullo. So 
I think a lot of continuation, you said if they just copied and pasted the playbook from last year, they can. They've got a guy that was in a role in the offense who is still going to be the architect of their most important piece of offense. So there's going to be more continuity there. The offensive coordinator in name and Brian Johnson, he's, again, we see a lot of coordinators, uh, offensive coordinators around the league. We're not exactly sure how much of the load they're taking compared to either the head coach or a passing game coordinator or a run game coordinator on certain teams. So we'll see how much influence Brian Johnson has this season. In terms of the defensive coordinator, Again, you stay in the same family. It's Sean Desai, a guy we've talked about a lot. We talked about him when he was with the Bears, when he went to the Seahawks. So he comes from the same tree, but it is the question of how are you going to flavor this particular dish that you're cooking up? Same basic ingredients, but are you going to lean the same way as your predecessor, or are you going to bring some of the flair you brought to it in your previous two stops? But again, it's not a radical departure. This isn't a different defensive scheme or a guy that comes from a different tree. So more continuity i feel like and and in both of those cases that makes me feel better about less drop off from the eagles this year and then the special teams coordinator is michael clay uh one note on brian johnson he was the quarterback's coach so i have to imagine you know again having a front row seat seeing what jalen can do with the deep ball seeing what aj can do with the deep ball i have to imagine he's gonna be like yeah run that back right <laughs> like you know and I, I i again i don't know what the split is between him and Coach Petulo in, in terms of, like, you know, who's who's actually calling the passing game, who's more in charge of the run game, mm-hmm. um, you know, what – and I'm sure there's there's just a meeting of the minds with Stoutland, Johnson, and Petulo. I'm, I'm sure it's a group effort, which is – that's good, honestly. And I, I'm not going to pretend to know, like, what the, what the hierarchy is there, but I also don't really think it matters – because I think that they're all really good at working together. They've worked together for years now. Um, and it just it creates an offense that is dynamic and efficient and explosive. And they don't step on each other's toes. And you can tell because every single game plan is always dialed in. You know, situationally, they're incredible. They're good in the red zone. They're good in the shot area. They're good at, you know, when they're backed up their own goal line. They're good at getting out of that situation and flipping field position. Like, they're just good at everything. And that's... That's how you can tell that a coaching staff is good at working together, right? Is is when is when nothing phases them. Um, and then Sean Desai, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, him him kind of, you know, potentially being a different flavor of the same thing. The big the big advantage here is not having to switch around the language of the defense. You know, everything is still called the same. Quads is still quads. Cover six, which is quarter, quarter, half with the quarters. Uh, to the passing strength is still cover six cover eight which is half quarter quarter with half field safety to the passing strength is still cover eight cover nine is still cover nine which is like a match cover three for them i know it's their terms are way different right but it's it's all the same shit that they don't have to learn a new language exactly right and that is very difficult for even professional football players to say oh it's the same thing just like you when you're trying to learn a new language and say, how do you say that? You come in and you have that same base. And again, you can just focus on what are the differences? How do you want me to run it differently? How do you want me to key it differently? But it's called the same thing. Oh, you've got the exact same rules for this? Great. Oh, your rule is slightly different over here? Cool. It's called the same way. I could just sort of attach that to that term. It's a huge step up. So in general, Eagles fans, don't panic. There should be smooth transitions on both sides of the ball, and that's good news. 
Yeah, really the only the only way that I think this defense takes a step back is if somehow some way and it hasn't happened yet, so I'm not I'm not predicting this, but if somehow the age of James Bradbury and Darius Slay catches up to them finally, uh like maybe we see the defense take a step back, but after all these years, I'm not counting on it. Like they, and they they're were, like the Travis Kelseys of corners over there. <laughs> the Travis Kelseys of corners. I love that. And they weren't supposed to have either one this year. They, yeah, it was actually kind of weird how it's like both it went from lose. yeah, it went from both are going to be gone to oh maybe we'll keep one to just kidding they're both back. We're running it both back, and you just kind of shake your head at that point and say it's Howie. Yeah. Um, nobody else could have done that. Other notable coaches on this staff already talked about Jeff Stoutland several times. He deserves it. He's the offensive line coach, pure and simple, one of the very best in the NFL doing it right now at any position, but certainly in the O line game. Alex Tanney is the QB coach now that Brian Johnson has been elevated to offensive coordinator. His first year as the QB coach, his third season with the team. He had a nine-year NFL career as a backup, entering his UDFA. Love that. Started as an undrafted free agent and still played almost a decade in the league. His brother Mitch previously served as the director of analytics for the Broncos. Oh, that part I didn't which I know. thought was fascinating. On defense and special teams, Tracy Rockers, the defensive line coach, 32 years as a coach, and you see that play out on the field. We talked about how good the second-tier defensive line for the Eagles was, not to mention the first. He's heading into his third season as the Eagles' DL coach, uh, was a third-round draft pick himself in 1989. His son, Kumar, was drafted by the Texas Rangers as the third overall pick in the 2022 MLB draft. Oh, how about that? Good for him. So he was smart enough to tell his kid, hey, don't play football, play baseball. You'll have a longer career and make more money. <laughs> Yeah, make way more money. Yeah, seems like a wise coach to me. <laughs> and Ronald Williams is the Nichols coach. Now, this is really interesting to me because I've never seen the title before, but I like it. In fact, I love it. One of the toughest spots to play in the league, one of the most complex, we say it every year, that Nichols are going to struggle because everything's a two-way go and you have to support the run. So really on any play, you can be moving forward, backwards, or to either side. Um, certainly deserves some dedicated coaching. This is the first time I've seen it called out that way. Um, Ronell is new to it this year. He coached under Desai in the past in Chicago. He is a native of Chester, Pennsylvania, and a former GA at Temple, so he gets to coach in front of his home folks. He uh, born and raised in Philly, played college there, uh, was a was a GA right across town, and now gets to coach in the big leagues in his hometown, which is really cool. Now, given all of that information that we just went over, all the the context we could possibly lay. As a foundation, you know, the coaching changes, the scheme information, what we think is going to stay the same, what we think is going to be different. Ideally, not a whole lot will be different schematically because, you know, why fix what ain't broke? Um, but with all that context out of the way, and hopefully we kind of gave you a primer, I want to ask you a question, EJ. We're looking at, I'm going on underdog right now, higher or lower, DeAndre Swift rushing yards for the season. What's your cutoff for going higher? You mean what's the line that I would stop taking the over on? Yeah. I'm curious. 950? Oh, you're smashing this then. He's at 567. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I it, would be smashing that. They have actually they have Penny above him right now at 685. And so, I like Penny. I'm a Penny defender if Penny is healthy. He is clearly the best running back in that room. Don't at me. That's a fact. 
but health has been an issue and there's a historical precedent for uh, when you trade for a running back, when you trade a high pick for a running back, the amount of usage that back gets is very high. Yeah. You do not leave the toy on the bench. So just based on that and behind this line, now it would take a shift, right? Inside zone is not DeAndre Swift's best life. He can do it. Uh, he did it in college, but he is much more dangerous outside zone. So let's see if they shift to that. But just based on number of touches he's likely to get and the quality of the offensive line in front of him, that number seems low. For passing yards, this is the one that I already jumped on. It's at 36.50 for Jalen Hurts on the season. Hmm. And I know they're factoring in rushing production because they also have them at 725 rushing yards. Mm -hmm. But given the weapons they have, the protection they have, I don't know, 36.50 seems like maybe we're pricing in potential for injury or something like that or pricing in, you know, maybe they have the first seed wrapped up and so they're sitting sitting him in week 18 or something like that. But that's one that I already jumped on because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't wait. Um, ooh, A.J. Brown is at 1,100 receiving yards, seven and a half touchdowns, 75 receptions. That all seems relatively fair. Um, oh, what do, you, what do you think Hassan Reddick's sacks are at? Ooh, defensive side of the ball. I like this. We've been talking about offensive players almost exclusively in this series. Uh, Hassan Reddick's sacks, they have him at 10 and a half? 11 and a half. Oh, come on. That's pretty close. Um, I don't know. that Sacks are fickle, right? It You can get pressures much more consistently. He had a lot last year. He's due statistically just for regression, but I'd say that line, I mean, I said 10 and a half, they say 11 and a half. It's right there. You know, you're talking about a very similar number. It's not a number that makes me want to jump in. They have, man, they also have Devonta Smith at a thousand. So they got both top Eagles receivers over a thousand, which, you know, we're looking <laughs> at Calvin Ridley, yeah. like 870 as like the wide receiver one in Jacksonville. We're looking at Eagles receivers being priced both at a thousand plus yards and they'll probably both get it they'll probably both get it but that's the thing that's what's kind of weird is like okay so we have both top receivers over a thousand we got goddard at 645 yeah you know we you know we're obviously we're gonna throw to the running backs it's like why is hurts only at 36 it seems like, like all the quarterback passing lines are a little bit low this year we've talked about this over and over again i mean trevor's line was below 4,000. jalen hurts line below 4,000. i think uh even justin herbert's line was below 4,000. and i mean i understand with their offensive struggles in the past why that one might be but i also think if you factor in kellen moore coming to town and how successful he was in dallas with dak like it seems like all those have been, we've been like, oh, the over, oh, the over, oh, the over. There haven't been very many quarterback passing lines that we've been like, oh, smash the under. He's not hitting that. Yeah, it's just kind of the one position where if you're doing season-long pickems, you could probably get value on quarterback. Skill positions less so, unless it's something that's like just criminally undervalued, like, again, Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley. <laughs> um, or uh, Traylon Burks actually went down to like seven, 715 or something like that, so... Again, Titans have had their struggles with the passing game. I would I would understand that more. The fact that Traylon Burks and Calvin Ridley are within like a hundred yards of each other or were at one point is not right. Yeah. So it, it, basically, our point is 
if you try to get value on the Eagles, everything is already priced super high. In fantasy drafts as well, like A.J. Brown's going as wide receiver 6. Devonta's going as wide receiver 13. Hurts is going as QB 2. Goddard's going as tight end 6. Swift is going as running back 23. Penny's going as RB 36. That seems a little high to me. If I could take the over-under on just that paying off in terms of Penny being greater or lesser than RB36 at the end of the year. I might take lesser just because of the spottiness and the injury history. But Yeah, if he in, stays healthy, he will be. But in, when has he ever been healthy? Right. And in terms of best ball, you're looking for folks that can get you those streaky wins. But again, you're going to pay that high of a price to get it. Um, that's maybe even a little richer on Penny than, than I would go. And I'm a Penny stand. The lack of faith in Kenneth Gainwell is disturbing, EJ. <laughs> Just saying. I want to know what Kenneth Gainwell's receiving number for the year is. If they they have don't it. have that up. Okay. Yet. All right. You Fair know. enough. They don't want to give away all their money. All right. Because I know you would have smashed that. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'd probably take the over. It's probably like 300 by the time they, mm. they allow it. Yeah. Anyway, I guess the overall point is everybody's super high on the Eagles. No discounts. <laughs> no, it's a good problem to have. When you have success in the league, when you go as far as the Eagles did, when you are as complete as they are, yeah, everybody knows. Nobody's you're not going to slide one, you know, under the table there. Like everybody's going to be like, we saw how good they could be. We think they can be that again. If you yourself uh, want to jump on that Jalen Hurts number, or you know, maybe you're just an absolute uh, degenerate hater and and you want to go under on all the Eagles, you know, try to manifest it. You can use promo code Bootleg. They'll match your deposit up to a hundred dollars. So whatever you deposit, they'll give you that for free to use extra on the platform even again up to 100 so you can use it on the season-long pickums, on the weekly pickums during the season uh you know you can use it on best ball drafts right now there's millions upon millions upon millions of dollars <laughs> in prizes on best ball right now uh so and not just for football but also you can use it on nba during the nba season hockey baseball anything like that so uh, a lot of different contests you can get into on underdog and as our flagship sponsor we appreciate you guys immensely if you've already deposited on Underdog because that directly benefits the show and ensures that we can keep doing stuff like this. So, uh, again, shout out to Underdog for sponsoring this whole series and, uh, you know, es essentially paying for my flight to come back up here next week so we can actually finish it. Think of it as health insurance. You get sick, we get to run it back. Yeah, my voice still does not sound great, but we're powering through, folks. We're powering through. Uh, all right, EJ. Let's get to free agency. A lot of losses for the Eagles, and that's not surprising. Again, teams that are successful, very successful in the NFL, are going to get picked over, and you can't pay everybody. And when Howie is bringing as much talent as he is into the building and they continue to play well, they all want to get paid. They all deserve it, and that means some of them have to leave no matter how much you like them. So Javon Hargrave moves on, goes to the 49ers for a big money deal. TJ Edwards goes to the Bears. Uh, Kazir White goes to the Cardinals. Zach Paschal, who I liked, who I thought was underrated, goes on to the Cardinals. Not necessarily a big money deal, but Gardner Minshew is the backup for the Colts. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson ends up with the Lions. Miles Sanders is the lead back for the Panthers. Uh, Marcus Epps, who played 99.1% of the snaps for the Eagles, moves on to the Raiders. And Isaac Sayumalo uh, is now a starter for the Steelers. 96% of the snaps on that offensive line. So lots of cogs uh a few stars uh, again they have plans 
this is it feels a little bit it's funny that they drafted all the georgia players because philly feels a little bit like georgia right we just yeah. stack five stars oh we lost a five star <laughs> we got two more in the back we'll just rotate them in here's this fucking freak show from macon just rolling in he's 18 eats like nine thousand calories a day runs over you yeah so very similar franchises and i will call georgia a franchise because let's be honest they are uh but i don't think any of these are crushing moves certainly not for the eagles but some significant ones for sure folks that have played big roles and made big plays in philadelphia are on to other destinations and in many cases are starters in those destinations yeah it's you know it's a consequence of being a well-built roster you're gonna bleed at some point it's just on the GM to draft well and, you know, make, uh, you know, good kind of sneaky third-way free agency signings to fill in holes where he can, and Howie's very good at that. So, you know, until further notice, as long as Howie's there, I'm never worried about the roster. Uh, the fact that he's built, God, how many different Super Bowl teams or Super Bowl quality teams? teams as he built now like four quality teams yeah it's three-ish or four-ish depending on your definition but at, for the amount of time that he's been in the seat and the amount of quality he's put on the field in what i would call different iterations it's yeah. not like really the same core you know he's done it with a bunch of a couple of different quarterbacks he's done it with very different receiving cores uh the offensive line has had plenty of turnover the, the level of play stayed very high but he continues to churn the roster, which you have to do. Again, you can't keep them all. You're not going to be able to pay them all. And he continues to find talent through multiple sources. It's really, really impressive. He's one of the only GMs I've ever seen do that, where through multiple eras, multiple coaching staffs, three different coaching staffs, I think now, um, you know, like four different quarterbacks and, and build Super Bowl rosters in all of those situations or at least rosters that went to the Super Bowl. Like it, mm -hmm. it's it's not a fluke, guys. Nope. <laughs> it's not a fluke. Nobody else can do that. Don't look for it to end anytime soon. Uh he's got a little bit of, of magic floating around in that office somewhere. Uh let's get to who he did bring back, uh, Brandon Graham. You know, taking a, a five million dollar uh deal arrangement, however you want to phrase it. Sure. Uh, you know, to stay with Philly. Uh, Boston Scott is back as well. Darius Slay at $14 million. Uh, Fletcher Cox at $10 million. Uh, James Bradbury at $12.6. Uh, Jason Kelsey at $14.25. Lane Johnson at 20 point, well, 20, yeah, 20.2, I guess, is the rounding up. And then, of course, the biggie, Jalen Hurts, $51 million a year. Temporarily the highest played highest paid NFL player in history before Lamar came in and topped him and then before Justin came in and topped both of them uh, so again he did spend but he had to prioritize what he spent on and at the end of the day for a for a Howie coach team who are your future Hall of Famers in the trenches who's your quarterback and you know we'll kind of go from there he, he spent there first kept the corners and everybody else, you know, sorry, <laughs> ran out of money. Who are the hardest guys to replace? I'm going to spend on those first. Uh, going to keep some, again, low-key additions. We didn't think either of the corners would be back. He gets them both. Um, it, you know, I'd say it was a, this feels like a well-oiled machine. There, there are, I can't think of any really players where you're like, man, they really should have signed that guy. Yeah. Right? 
and they let him out the door or they had a tiff with a player about money and he ended up walking like the ones they want to keep they keep they're uh very purposeful about that and so far he's been pulling all the right levers if they could have kept chauncey i would have liked that sure but and i still don't really know what was going on there you know in terms of where you know how he just suddenly ended up with like a one-year deal with detroit i there was some kind of issue with the agent i think from what i heard and it was kind of a weird situation all around. I would have liked for him to have stayed in Philly, but it just apparently agent fucked it up or something like that. But I don't know. Just an unfortunate situation all around. I'm happy he's healthy, by the way. Did you see he went down? I saw he went down and that it is not season ending. Thank God. Um, no, that that's a big addition. Looking at uh, their third-party additions now, uh, you know, who they brought in from outside the building. Again, not a whole lot of big money to go around because they spent it on all of their, uh, you know, their actual core they're trying to retain. But they brought in uh, Nicholas Moreau for one point one million. Uh, Zacchaeus, uh, receiver from the Falcons, who EJ has loved forever, uh, one point two million, probably to be the new Pascal, I would imagine. Uh, DeAndre Swift uh, traded for the Lions. Uh, his cap number, I think, is like two point one million. Kentavious Street still kicking around. 1.3 million. Rashad Penny, 1.3 million. And Terrell Edmonds, 2 million. So, again, very kind of cheap third wave deals like what we're talking about. Just fill out the roster, get some down eaters, get guys that we can rotate in if we need to, um, and spend on the stars that, that we can. It's all about value. And, you know, some of these guys are going to play well. It almost feels to me like a free agency draft, right? Go get. It's not young, but it is cheap talent that you think can perform. Fill holes in your system. Nicholas Morrow is going to be a starter for them at only $1.1 million. Um, Zacchaeus, not necessarily a starter, but is going to be in that sort of fourth, third, fourth wide receiver role for them. Could be a great value. DeAndre Swift is probably going to start for them. And by start, I mean is the first running back on the field uh, when they roll it out at the beginning of the season. Again, still a rookie deal for him, $2.1 million. So didn't spend – I mean, the total for all the guys we mentioned is like $10 million. Yeah, it's nothing. And a bunch of those guys are going to contribute. And if the others don't, that's okay. It's more like a draft hit percentage in free agency, which is a bit of a different approach. But Howie seems uh, perfectly happy to spend, to keep stars, to keep core, and then go out in free agency and you know pick up dollar bills that other people have dropped. Uh, that brings us to the draft. You know, again, they did what they could in March, and they did a phenomenal job in March, but they still had April to go, and it seems like they had one goal and one goal only, and that was to draft as many Georgia Bulldogs as they possibly could, and just try to keep that national championship team from 2021 together. And uh, you know what? They succeeded. I love this draft. I will say unabashedly at the top, there is one player here that I was like, eh, don't care. But it was in round six to pick 188. If that's my first quibble with your draft, you did awesome. Mm -hmm. So right up at the top, round one, pick nine, they end up being the destination for Jalen Carter out of Georgia. A lot of conversation pre-draft about where Jalen would end up and why. Ends up in what I think is the best possible spot for him because there were some maturity concerns, and he ends up with a lot of his former teammates and a very solid veteran core who can lay down the law and say, this is the way we do it here. If you want to be successful, 
We're all successful. We went to the Super Bowl last year. Do it our way. Because Jalen Carter, the question was never talent. Mm -hmm. Never, ever talent. You look at his film, he was possibly the best player in the entire draft. They had some questions. I don't think there's any better situation or landing spot in the NFL than Philly for him and his particular situation. Round one, pick 30, they get Edge Nolan Smith, his teammate from Georgia, who is a completely different type of player, incredibly quick, and one of the most relentless in terms of technical pass rushers in this entire draft. He will keep trying to win and does more often than not. Really excited to see, uh, again, as a completely different flavor of pass rusher for them, how he fits into this system. Round three, pick 65, they get Tyler Steen from Alabama. Again, a physical marvel that we talked about when we had Brandon Thorne on the show, who said, man, if he cleans up like one thing, he could be really, really good. And who better to clean up one thing than Jeff Stoutland? So love that pick as well. Another pick in round three, only one pick later, 66, safety Sidney Brown from Illinois. Just a rocket. Has, I think, some Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in his game in terms of aggression. Um, different player physically, more gifted player physically, but has a role, I think, right away in this secondary. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily as a starter, but as a contributor. And I wouldn't be surprised if by year two, if he stays healthy, struggled a little bit with injury, that he does have a starting role because he is that talented. And to be able to get that player at 66 overall in round three, Another great shot, round four, pick 105. They get cornerback Keely Ringo out of Georgia, a big, tall, fast, linear athlete who a lot of people thought, you know, there was even some talk of him going in the end of round one. I never bought into that. I thought he had more limitations than that. But, again, look at the landing spot. He gets to come in, learn between two corners that we thought weren't going to be there, uh, who have some physical similarities to him in terms of size and speed. Uh, he does need to round out his game before he's a complete player, but come on, 105? Yeah, who cares at Again, that point? you're picking up dollar bills that other people dropped. He slid farther than people thought he would. Howie's more than happy to end that slide. Round six, pick 188 I mentioned at the top of the segment. Uh, quarterback Tanner McKee from Stanford has some highlights that I liked, some physical. He's very streaky, and he has some physical runs that he goes on at Stanford, and you go, wow, that is a – that is a player in the NFL. And then if you, again, don't just watch highlights and watch the entire tape, there are long stretches of uh, just fallow ground that don't produce any crops uh, from Tanner McKee. He's going to have to increase uh, and improve on his consistency. Um, but again, it's round six. Pick 188. If that's yeah. my first sort of, hey, you might have stumbled here, you're doing great, folks. And then round seven, pick 249. Love this pick. Moro Ajomo out of Texas. Absolute stump in the middle of the line. It fits very clearly. While I'm not going to say I see a path to playing time, I see a path to player profile that fits perfectly with the Eagles, and it's a steal at 249. Yeah, he happens to be in the one situation where he's not going to get snaps, right, just because of everybody that's ahead of him. But on most teams, he would. Yeah. Because he's phenomenal against the run. Yep. And like his first step is great, incredibly powerful. Like if there's one thing that he can do as a rookie, it's, you know, we're giving Fletch some snaps off. We're giving Jordan Davis some snaps off. We're we're throwing the young kids in there, Carter and Ajomo, and just say, Hey, go murder that center for me, please, and take his soul away on first and ten. They can both do that. 
Yep. Uh, like there, if there's one thing that Moro Jomo can do as good as Jalen Carter at stop the run, pass rush not there yet. That's why he went in the seventh round. Well, honestly, he sh- he shouldn't have gone in the seventh. There's round, something but. going on there because you look at the versatility, the size, and the skill set. He goes seventh rounder, and I'm like. I, a, I thought like fourth. Yeah, I was like, know? that's at least two rounds too late. So something going on. Again, we don't always know what those things are, but he can slide anywhere from that interior sort of three tech. He's a very good four eye. I think you could play him at straight up five and just say set the oh, edge. Oh, you could. Because 100%. he has the power and the base. Yeah. So very useful player, very versatile player. Those players, by round five, people are like, hey, we'll spend. That's a value. And he went all the way to the seventh, almost didn't get drafted, which I found surprising. So maybe something in the medical file, maybe something off the field. But we saw him up close, and I, I was impressed with the skill set. He's a really, really good player. Um, Sidney Brown, by the way, uh, you know, holding true to the Eagles tradition of – is he a nickel or is he a safety? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's both. <laughs> so they'll, they'll find a way to use him at some point. Um, and then Nolan Smith, man. Can you imagine a better person to learn under for his size profile than Hassan Reddick? No. Like it's, I can't, it's, actually. It's a dream for him. Yeah. It's an absolute dream. How he knocked it out of the park. You know, again, they lost some names in free agency, but they did a phenomenal job of you know, replenishing the coffers in the draft, you know, signing some some cheap guys in free agency to be down eaters for now while these young guys develop. Like I, I would imagine at least half this draft is gonna be good contributors, if not outright stars, which is all you can ever hope for. So absolutely crushed it. And the UDFA hall was pretty good too. Uh Jaden Hazelwood, wide receiver out of Arkansas, not super fast. But big, really high jumper, you know, go up and get it type guy, worthy of, you know, keeping around in camp just to see what he can do. Maybe he'll make the practice squad. Uh, Trevor Reed, freak show, offensive line project out of Louisville. Jeff Stoutland loves those types of like, just give me the kid who can move unlike everybody else and I'll teach him how to use it. So great pickup for them there. Uh, Makai Gardner from LSU had a lot of fans, but particularly for me, Eli Ricks, corner out of Alabama, I had a big grade on him. Mm-hmm. Um, to my knowledge, I think it was medical why why he slipped. I feel like um, it has to be based on tape. Like I, I remember asking around about it, and I, I, I think the answer I got was medical. I don't know what medical, but sure. Um, but just off tape, like that's not an undrafted player. That's no. probably a, a late day two early day three type tape that they got as udfa so if he's healthy you know he will make the roster because he's a very talented player and i i hope he is healthy because he's a good good football player yeah and this is another this is a hallmark of howie right he had a good draft and didn't sit on his hands and go fine whatever udfa had a good free agency didn't sit on his hands and say oh free talent i'm gonna let it go goes out and gets five players in this UDFA class who have traits, Ben Van Sumeren on there as well, very athletic linebacker out of Michigan State, has his limitations, but can really fly. Mm-hmm. And again, they just move some linebackers out of the building. They have a cheap linebacker in you know Nicholas Morrow holding that spot for right now, but Van Sumeren can earn snaps. Is he going to this year? I don't think so, just because of the overall level of talent. But again, Howie just going, give me the guys, right? My offensive line coach, love guys like Trevor Reed. Here you go. You get him. I get two corners, two young corners who both had draftable grades on my board. 
for free. Mm-hmm. So everybody says, oh, who's going to who's gonna succeed Slay and Bradbury? Well, maybe one of these two guys. Yeah. And if that comes to pass, you got them for free. Again, foot to the floor, gas always on, no brakes. Howie just uses every avenue to improve the team. Well, that's as good of a transition as I could ever hope for for the report card segment where we grade four categories, front office, coaching staff, offensive talent, and defensive talent, and we will give them one of three grades, either up, down, or neutral, and this is measuring where we think they're at relative to the end of last season. Like what? How have things changed this offseason as we begin camp? Front office, uh, <laughs> it's hard to say that – you know, the best front office in the league is trending up, but they just keep crushing it year after year after year. And this might be one of the finest off seasons I've, I've seen how he have. He locked down Jalen Hurts long term at guaranteed money that, you know, compared to what some other guys have gotten since that deal seems downright reasonable. And Lord knows what Joe Burrow is going to get. <laughs> like I think Jalen's gonna look like a bargain compared to that. Yep. Already kind of looks like a bargain compared to the guarantees that Justin Herbert got. Um, so you know, he he locked down his franchise quarterback, he solidified the core, knocked the draft out of the park, got some UDFAs we liked, you know, dealt with the roster churn as deftly as one could. He's he's just amazing. Um coaching staff, we're going <sighs> this is so tough. I want to say down, but only because we we still just got to see it for for the guys that are stepping into the Steichen and, and Gannon roles. And, like, we know that Steichen and Gannon were awesome. And so, like, we don't want to say neutral because anytime you lose both coordinators, like, it's, it's hard to say neutral. But take the down with a grain of salt. Like, we believe in the guys that are ste- – like, we obviously believe in Sean Desai. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we think that Brian Johnson's going to be great, but we're, we're in kind of wait-and-see mode here. So you could argue neutral. You could talk me into neutral. But just acknowledging the situation of like, hey, we lost our coordinators, probably fair to go like a slight, slight down there. The most important thing to remember here is the, the rules of this exercise for report card is compared to the end of last year. Yes. And the standard at the end of last year was they were in the Super Bowl and competing to win it. And both of those guys left. So that's almost an impossibly high standard to maintain at neutral. And we've said over and over again in this series that neutral is not bad. It's just the same. It's slightly less than the same, but the same from last year was Super Bowl and almost won it. So that's really why they get any slight decline, but again, we think on both sides of the ball, those transitions are going to be fairly smooth. Looking at the offensive talent pool overall, they were already elite. They stayed elite. You know, some slight tweaks here and there, you know, looking at the offensive line and looking at, you know, wide receiver three on down, you know, slight, slight tweaks to the, you know, the running back room, but nothing too major for me to justify an up or a down. We're just going to go neutral there and just say, yeah, they're still good. Uh, and then defensive talent, again, some slight tweaks to the depth chart here. Chauncey's gone. You know, there's some difference in the linebacking room. But the defensive line group is better. Uh, they drafted some young DBs that we really like, especially Sidney Brown. And, you know, Nolan Smith, who could play either linebacker or be an edge, 
you know, as kind of like their wild card. I think that you kind of have to go up for defensive talent here as well, which sounds insane because they were already really good. But when you add Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith and Sidney Brown and, and maybe even Keely Ringo and the UDFAs on top of what they already had as a core and you kept Slay and you kept Bradbury and the defensive line is largely still intact. I mean, shit, dude. <laughs> and there's a sneaky name that we didn't mention who is also a Georgia alum. N'Kobe Dean comes in healthy. That's right. So yes. he's he's coming in at full strength. We loved his game last year. He had a pec injury right before the draft, ended up sliding again. How he scoops in and grabs a value, uh, lets him sit for a year because he doesn't need him on the field last year, and now he comes in as the sort of appointed starter running that defense, the middle linebacker position. It's hard not to say that they're better. Yeah, uh, you know, TJ Edwards moves on, but you get N'Kobe Dean at the other spot. Morrow's decent. He's not as good as Edwards, but you add, again, possibly the most talented overall player in the draft. Kind of got to give him an up here. Not even possibly. Uh, Is. You know, it's just, it's an insane roster. And the fact that they are a Super Bowl contending team that might be better is just outrageous. So looking at our ceiling and floor, um, this is going to sound odd because they won 14 games last last year and our ceiling, both of our ceilings is at 13. It, again, does not mean that we think that they're a worse team. We actually think that there might be a better team, but it's also acknowledging like, hey, the NFC East is a war zone. The Giants are better. Commanders are better. Dallas is at least probably the same um, you know, they're playing a bunch of other really good teams. I could see them losing four games fairly easily. Yeah. When they get to the playoffs, they'll still probably march their way to the NFC Championship game. But um, there was a confluence of factors that allowed them to win 14 last year uh, and, you know, you know, be a threshing machine against some teams that honestly were not on their level this year. Their schedule's harder. It just straight up is. And so I, I have their ceiling at one game less while also being a better team. Their floor, though, is nine. Like, they're not going to be a losing record. They're going to be a winning record. Like, even if Jalen goes down for three or four games, like, this roster is so good. You know, knock on wood, I don't want Jalen to go down. But, like, the roster is so good that they'll probably still survive that. And, and have a winning record and, and make the playoffs anyway, it would take something truly catastrophic to a large percentage of the roster for this team to miss the playoffs. Like, historically, ridiculously unlucky, which I don't think is going to happen because their strength and conditioning staff is also really good too. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a winning team at their worst, and it's the first seed at their best. We agree. 13 at the ceiling, 9 at the floor, 13 being an admission that, look, only losing three games in the NFL is extremely good and very difficult to repeat. The team is very, very good. Their division got better. Mm -hmm. um, there were, you know, acknowledging that there is some transition in the coaching staff and giving them a one game slower start. Maybe in the first month of the season, they drop one more game. That's all this is. Are they going to be a powerful team? Yes. Are they going to be a force in the NFC? Are they probably going to win the division. Mm, they're going to be right there at the end. And even if all that goes wrong, they're second string on offense 
and defense is better than a lot of teams' first strings anywhere on their roster. So they're not going to be a sub-500 team without, like you said, some kind of Armageddon occurring. Um, Very, very strong team. Going to be a strong team again this year. Going to push into the playoffs most likely and very possibly going to compete for the Super Bowl. Well, hopefully that was a sufficient amount of gas. Uh, I am now out of my voice, yep. so I need, I need to go drink some tea or something like that um, before we do the Cowboys episode. It's a gorgeous day, so I'm not complaining too much, but uh, we're going to get out of here. I'm going to go fix my throat, Yep. Uh, and then we're going to also be shooting our NFC East wrap-up and predictions where we picked division winner. We picked um, you know rookies of the year, offensive defensive, defensive player of the year for NFC East, uh, so we're also shooting that today. That will come out on this channel tomorrow from the day this comes out so make sure to come back for that and then we are moving on to the afc east next week and finally being done with this series so if you enjoyed this episode thank you for stopping by come back tomorrow for more nfc east goodness and until then we'll see you later okay.